Did you know used coffee grounds can reduce deforestation because they contain many of the same properties as palm oil? Welcome to Sustainability Matters Today, where you'll learn about the fantastic work people and organizations are doing right now to heal our planet through environmentally friendly products and methodologies. My name is Daniel Hartz, and I speak with amazing champions of sustainability who prove a clean and beautiful future on Earth is possible because green practices oftentimes make financial sense. I aim to uncover the important role money plays in people's decisions to adopt and commit to environmentally friendly practices in order to create a chain reaction of positive change. In each episode, you'll also learn practical steps you can take every day to live a more eco-friendly lifestyle. Let's jump in. In this episode of the Sustainability Matters Today podcast, I interview Fergus Moore, co-founder of Revive Eco and champion of diverting coffee grounds from landfill. Revive Eco collects and recycles used coffee grounds to produce a range of eco-friendly products. Recently, they were chosen as a Solve MIT global finalist for their proposal of converting coffee grounds into high-value natural oils. For their innovation, Revive Eco received the Live Wire Smarter Future Award in 2016, a Green Champion Award from the Glasgow Business Awards in 2017, a grant from Zero Waste Scotland Circular Economy Investment Fund in 2018, and recently, they were semi-finalists in the Shivas Venture Final in 2019, for which they received $20,000 in prize money. Please subscribe to the Sustainability Matters Today podcast to learn about other champions of sustainability like Fergus. I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm here with Fergus Moore, co-founder of Revive Eco. Thanks for joining me, Fergus. Great to have you on the show. Thanks very much for having me, Daniel. So you're, you're working on some really exciting things with Revive Eco. And uh, before we jump into it, I'd love to start with your background. How did you get started in sustainability? Um, well, first of all, thank you uh, for thinking what we're doing is exciting. Um, yeah. But um, in terms of how we got into sustainability, um, for me, growing up, uh, and certainly as I was kind of coming up to starting my university uh, career, shall we say, I was always interested in having an impact uh, beyond myself. Uh, I didn't necessarily know that that was going to be going down the, the sustainability line, but I certainly knew that I wanted to do something um, that would allow me to have as broad an impact as I possibly could. Hence why I studied business uh, at the University of Strathclyde. Uh, I felt that entrepreneurship, being able to start my own company, that was a kind of at least a step mm. in the right direction with ha for having a, as a broad an impact as I possibly could. For me, sustainability, when it came to actually moving into that space, for me, it just, it just makes common sense. Um, it's both sort of necessary from a, the current climate sort of that we're in at the moment, both in terms of climate change, political climate, everything. I think that a focus on sustainability is um, is definitely necessary. But also from a kind of a natural world point of view, I always had an interest in the natural world growing up. Right. And um, waste isn't natural. Um, human beings are the only thing on the planet that creates waste, everything else. Um, you know, if a plant, dies it falls to the ground it decomposes and it becomes plant food or it becomes fertilizer for the next plant or for animals or, or whatever it might be there is no waste in nature and i think 
because of that interest in the natural world growing up uh, and also that kind of drive to be to, to create impact um i think those two things kind of i guess came together and it just made sense for me to to start focusing on sustainability and i guess sustainable entrepreneurship that's a really cool story i think um there is no waste uh, that's why nature is so perfect because everything has a purpose um, even if the purpose is to no longer exist but in that process by no longer existing it feeds the next life so with with that in mind i mean how did you start revive eco where did that come from so with revive um i mean it's a, a quite a long and uh laborious story now um <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll i'll skip to the highlights i guess um as I said, I was I was studying uh, business at the University of Strathclyde. Um, me and my co-founder Scott were both there, and we were both working in hospitality uh, at the time, just part-time jobs. Um, I was working at a in a cafe. Scott was working in a big sort of event campus place in Glasgow. We were faced day to day with the amount of food waste that was being left at the end of every single day. This was something I think that you know got to us certainly um because we were on the the front line if you will seeing mm. literally putting that stuff in the bin seeing and knowing that no value is being created from something that realistically still had value so we started to 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 play with different ideas of how we could create value from food waste food waste itself is is quite a difficult thing to to work with general food waste because it's you know day to day a food waste bin is going to have completely different things in it uh, just depending on what people are leaving behind every day mm-hmm. so we decided to to focus in on on more niche food waste streams um and the one that that we focused on was coffee waste that was simply because i worked in a cafe scott worked day-to-day serving coffees it was just a thing we knew um nothing really more than that right but we quickly realized that coffee grounds had so much more value than was currently being garnered from it People were coming into the coffee shops, sometimes asking for wee bags of coffee grounds to take home, to put in their gardens, to to add to their compost heap. So I guess we already knew that there was value there, but it's only been, you know, through this process, through this kind of development of Revive that we've realised that that doesn't even come close to the, to the amount of value being left behind. I think we might have actually spoken about it uh, the last time we spoke, that actually creating a coffee from coffee is probably the lowest value thing you can do with coffee. The oils and the everything held within coffee has so much more value right. than simply, you know, a, a, a hot cup of joe um, to, keep, to keep you going in the morning. Yeah. So we set up the, the company the week that we graduated and that's us been working on it now for three years. Um, and we're now at the point that we've raised investment and we've got money there to develop this as an actual uh, business idea rather than just simply a kind of a concept, which it was up, up until maybe about six or seven months ago. Yeah, super exciting. I mean, that must feel really good that it's being validated and you know, you're know you seeing the work over the last few years actually building momentum and moving forward. Yeah, totally. I, th- I think it's kind of, it's, for us, it feels like it's it's been a, a real long time um, in the process. But I guess at the same time, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and uh, we need to understand that this is going to take a long time. We are creating something new, something that's never been done before. So there's a lot of potholes. There's a, there's a lot of things that people, even people with years of experience, have never come up against because, as I said, we're creating something completely new. 
Totally. And, you know, going back to the genesis of how this all began, you, you mentioned that food waste was really the biggest kind of factor in getting, getting you excited and interested in, in sustainability and really in starting Revive Eco. And I think food waste is, is a really important topic. Um, I think it's starting to come more and more to the, into the mainstream uh, just because, you know, we're, we're seeing some pretty shocking numbers of anywhere between, you know, a quarter to a third of all food being wasted, um, which is insane to think about considering that we hear also about millions uh, of people that are hungry, uh, not just in third world countries, but even in first world countries. I'd love to hear you, what your thoughts are in terms of what problems are uh, associated with food waste. Yeah, totally. I, th- I think when it comes to food waste, I, I see the problem as kind of twofold. The first one is, as you said, the kind of juxtaposition of the amount of perfectly edible food going to waste while, you know, I, th- I think it's around about 13% of the planet is currently undernourished. Um, the kind of unfairness uh, maybe um, of that is is just mind-blowing, not to mention that the obvious, obviously the, the tonnages that we actually see going to whether it's landfill or anaerobic digestion or or whatever is 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 terrifying um when you consider how much of it is actually perfectly edible and then on the other side side of that is that scale and where is it going ad compost these are a good start but when you know we are seeing the amount of value in just coffee waste i can only imagine the the other the amount of value that could be created from other waste streams whether I don't, whether it be you know other sort of large niche streams like whiskey waste or brewery waste or um anything like like that there there must be huge values just going to ironically going to waste and you know on to, on top of that there's then when things are going to end up in landfill there's the emissions there's there's everything else related to it I, th- I think that people maybe look at, at food waste going to landfill as well. If I, if you throw food waste out, you know, in your compost or whatever, it breaks down and, and you know, so it can't be that bad. But actually ending up in, in landfill is is a million times worse. It creates far more emissions, creates methane, which is far more damaging. And simply put, it is an issue. It's a global issue that we need a solution to. It's not kind of one that, it would be nice because we could create a bit of economic value from it. It is a a problem that requires a solution and it requires it as quickly as possible. Totally. And so how does um, Revive Eco provide that solution? I mean, how do you prevent and reduce food waste? So for us, unfortunately, with coffee grounds, the sort of that waste, the grounds are an inevitable part of making a coffee. When When you actually make a coffee, so it's about 1% of the coffee grounds or coffee beans, sorry, that is used to create that coffee. So that other 99% residual material will always go to waste, unfortunately. So what we are doing is is taking that out of, I guess, the waste system. And our goal is to maximise the value being created from that, uh, these used coffee grounds. Around about 60% of a, your standard cafe's waste will actually be coffee grounds. So it is a for the coffee industry a, a substantial um substantial percentage of their overall waste so being so being able to to take that out not only provides them with a actually a cost saving uh, but it also means that they're sending less um 
food waste to whether it be AD or, or, or landfill, hopefully not, but at the same time it still does because coffee grounds aren't actually, at the moment in Scotland, aren't looked upon as food waste. So they actually can still go in your general waste or basically whatever bin they like to completely legally, which to us blows our mind. But um, that's the way it is, I suppose. Um, we're, I think that's that's hopefully going to be changing. Yeah, that seems pretty pretty crazy that coffee grounds, which are, I mean, I guess they're technically edible. Uh, we certainly drink it. You know, you filter water through it. I don't see, that's very strange that Scotland doesn't see it as food waste. Yeah, I, th- I think if they go in food waste bins, they're not, it's, so they're, they are allowed to be put in food waste bins, but they're not legally regarded as food waste. Oh, I see. So it's kind of, they're in a bit of a funny middle position at the moment where they can kind of go wherever, um, which is, is no use to, to anyone. Yeah, so not only are, is Revive Eco, you know, preventing and reducing food waste by taking the coffee grounds from cafes once they're done with them, um, but you're also solving mass deforestation of tropical forests in countries like Indonesia and Malaysia uh, because they're they're making way for palm oil plantations. So that's that's an issue you're tack- tackling as well. Um, and just to provide some context, why forests are being cleared, or could you please provide a bit of background on what exactly is palm oil so palm oil it's it's a, a vegetable oil that has a, a sort of wide range of uses in lots of different industries once you actually start looking into palm oil it's incredible the number of products that it's in whether it's you know from a, a sort of small percentage right up to sort of larger percentage and things like margarines and things like this uh, so it's in things like you know cosmetics the food and drinks industry household products pharmaceuticals pretty much anything to be honest um and um it's the one of the 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 sort of most widely used uh, vegetable oils um globally and as you said that sort of the growth that has seen over the past 20 or so years uh these countries indonesia and malaysia they just simply uh could not keep up um with the growth of this this commodity product, uh, just because it was the the sort of the drive for palm oil in products from the West was just so monumental that the only way they could keep up was, as you said, through mass deforestation of their trop- tropical rainforests. Which you know, not not only is is that just the destruction of natural lands with the the kind of I'm sure people will have seen the um, the adverts over Christmas for from Iceland for you know, destroying the habitats of orangutans and other other sort of animals that live in the, in these um, these areas. But there's also the the emissions impact of this. These tropical rainforests hold unbelievable amounts of carbon emissions within them. They are basically, you know, they are the lungs of the of the planet, uh, and they have been sucking in, <laughs> for want of a better phrase, these carbon emissions for thousands of years and by chopping them down we are just then releasing every last ounce of it back out into the the atmosphere a couple of years ago it's it's dropped down slightly now but still not as it's still not um great but a couple of years ago deforestation in these areas actually accounted for 10% of the world's carbon emissions for a year which considering how many cars i i see in the on the on the motorway driving past this building right now 
is absolutely insane uh, to think of. And unfortunately, palm oil is still growing and these rainforests continue, be, continue to be uh, chopped down to make way for, for new palm oil plantations. Yeah, as I was doing some research on um, on palm oil, I, I read multiple times that basically 50% of products uh, in a supermarket have palm oil or some some sort of palm derivative in them. Yeah, it's just there's so many predictions on how much it's going to be growing. Um, you know, it's like growing 7% year on year. There's just some really big growth in a very short period of time. And so that's actually where Revive Eco comes in um, because you're looking to replace palm oil with the oil that's inside the coffee grounds that you were mentioning earlier. You're currently working with a world-renowned research institute on that, trying to find the best way to extract it. Can you give some some more background on what exactly you're researching and, and looking for? Yes. Yeah, so, so I guess we, we, we did some research with the University of Strathclyde here in Glasgow, um, looking at what was held within coffee grounds. Uh, obviously, we knew that there was coffee right. <laughs> uh, held within coffee grounds. Um, but what else was there in there? And was there anything else with value? And from that that small piece of research, we found that yes, there was. There's lots of lots of different sort of acids and fatty acids held within coffee grounds that have a wide range of uses uh, in different industries as well. The most exciting part for us is that they actually contain all the same components as palm oil. So the four key things held within palm oil are palmitic acid, linoleic, oleic, and stearic acid, and all four of those are in a high percentage within coffee grounds. So the next step for us was to then look into how we could, I guess, get access to these oils. How could we extract them in the most cost-effective and energy-efficient manner possible? We started speaking with, I guess, any engineering company that, that would listen to us, and we were basically met with stony faces and um, basically a no from everybody. Uh, it, it wouldn't be possible... It would be too expensive. It certainly wouldn't be energy efficient, or kind of, uh, it wouldn't be possible to be, to do it in any in any kind of sustainable way. We'd have to be using kind of nasty chemicals and solvents and and things like that. So serendipitously, the University of Strathclyde was actually doing some work uh, with a, a, as you said, a world renowned research institute, and they introduced us to them. Just basically, they knew that we were looking at chemical processing, and this institute was working on chemical processing at that at that point uh, for a completely different product but still you know they still had expertise there had a conversation with them and i think that they were probably the first people that we spoke to that actually got it they got what we were trying to do it wasn't it wasn't two wee lads just want to to build a wee machine that could get some some right. oils it was we had a global vision we wanted to make the entire coffee industry more sustainable and i think they they bought into that vision that mission um that kind of um sustainable mindset um so straight away uh sort of bonded over that shall we say uh and started to look into whether or not there was any way that we could could do this as i said in a, a energy and, and cost effective uh, manner so that's now what we're we're sort of about six months into a twelve month project with them now. We are developing a whole new technology um, that is 
currently not used anywhere else that allows us to extract these oils without using any solvents um, and is extremely energy efficient. Uh, it actually basically only uses heat and water um, and allows us to to pull all these these oils out in the to be used in, as I said, all, all these different industries. Yeah, so as, as I said, we're about six months through that. We're hoping to have a demonstration unit up and running in probably September, October time here in Glasgow. Um, Super cool. And at that point, I think I think that we're really excited. Obviously, we're really excited about that. But that'll be the first time that we're not just saying we are going to do this. It will be the first time that it's real, not only for us, but also real for our potential customers, for potential investors, for everyone. It's kind of, no, this isn't just a pipe dream. We are doing this. And, you know, this this is a game changer for, for the coffee industry. Oh, that's so exciting. And, and you're so close now, just around the corner. Yeah, it's, it's kind of equally exciting and terrifying um, yeah, to, to be at the point of, you know, as Scott and I aren't engineers, um, we've got limited sort of technical, scientific knowledge. So to, to now be so heavily engrossed in a, an entirely scientific and engineering business yeah. um, is, uh, you know, it, it is scary. Uh, it's not no point sort of beating around the bush with that. But, you know, it, we do, I guess we don't need to be, have, a, have an engineering degree to understand the way people work together, to understand the way sort of to create solutions for problems. Um, you know, the Research Institute has, they have the engineering knowledge, the university has the scientific knowledge. All our partners kind of help us with that. Um, so, but yeah, as you said, very, very exciting time for us. Yeah. So how, how closely does the oil that, that you're extracting from the coffee grounds resemble palm oil so so like i said it's, it's, it's got all the, the the same components to say that it is a straight replacement probably wouldn't be wouldn't well it, it, that wouldn't be accurate um it's the components within palm oil that we can replace so palm oil itself so the kind of crude palm oil actually doesn't have a massive value it's, it's a commodity it sells it you know almost similar to to, to oil does by the barrel and it's not got a huge value. It's the components within that that hold the value for, you know, cosmetics products and, and things like this. And these big companies, big say, let's just use cosmetics. These big cosmetics companies are shipping in crude palm oil from Indonesia and Malaysia to then go through more processing to strip out these individual components before they are then mixed in with their um, their formulations to create their products. We are basically allowing them to skip all of those steps and just provide them with the individual ingredients within palm oil. So those steric, linoleic, palmitic, oleic acids uh, and a, a range of other ones that are held within coffee as well. Meaning that not only are they not needing to or not only are they, they losing a step in, in their supply chain that they don't need to deal with anymore, um, but they're also removing all the logistics around that. That's that's you know an ingredient getting shipped from the other side of the world that's then going to another plant to be stripped down to the their components to then be shipped to them to then be shipped to their their customers we're kind of providing them with a more locally sourced and sustainable alternative to these products oh man that's that's as good as it gets yeah <laughs> one question i'm always interested in is you know why would a company want to use your 
uh, coffee ground oils instead of just the industry standard. But the answer is really obvious because there's a lot more work involved with industry standard palm oil because they have to get all of the little parts out of it that, that they need. You're doing all of that for them and you're just saying, well, you need stearic acid. Here it is. It's made from coffee, but that doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, there's there are a lot of things involved with it, especially if it's going to things like cosmetics or food and drinks products, because obviously that's human consumption or being used on human skin. Uh, so we need to make sure that the kind of traceability elements of it are all are all tied up and things like that. So so maybe saying, you know, we, we extract it and then we send it to them is maybe making it sound a, a little more simplistic than we would love it to be that that simple. Um but uh, on the on the kind of on a I guess from a high high level, yes, we're removing that. We're removing the need for them to be dealing with multiple partners. The need to have these huge logistics costs and emissions from these logistics on their books. Um, we're giving them the kind of green credentials of using ingredients created from sustainable sources. Not to not to mention allowing them to have the stamp of we don't use palm oil, which at the moment has massive value to these com- to, to companies. The, the, the public is massively turning against palm oil, um, as I'm sure you'll have seen in, in the news and in and, and lots of places, which I think the, sorry to go off on a bit of a tangent here, but I think that there's an element of maybe education that needs to be had around palm oil. I think people think that palm oil itself is damaging as in by consuming palm oil we are we are doing damage to ourselves or, or palm oil is just inherently bad for the environment that's not the case there is sustainable sources of palm oil palm oil is still the highest yield vegetable oil on the market it's it's more than double the next down which i think is coconut in terms of yield it's five times more than soy which is is widely used in, in other things so it is the cheapest, most widely available vegetable oil out there. And it's, you know, yield-wise, it's the best one for us to use. So that's maybe something that, that the public maybe doesn't understand. Um, and it's it's something we've we've faced a little bit when we were saying that we were wanting to replace palm oil. It's kind of like, oh, well, you know, palm oil actually is the best, it has the best yield. You know, you'll be, there's no way that you can sort of impact such a huge economy using a, a waste material and, and we do understand that but even if we could only reduce one percent of the amount of palm oil being created you know two percent that's that is a monumental amount of deforestation being avoided it's a monumental amount of logistics costs being reduced or logistics and the kind of carbon emissions surrounding that not to mention that it's huge savings for all these companies that are currently using palm oil and value created for them as well because people are turning against palm oil. Yeah, no, very interesting. I think it's I think you're absolutely right. You know, there's um when when something gets vilified, it's very easy to start confusing where exactly the problem lies. Absolutely, um, yeah. And I, I was actually very surprised to know that palm oil itself is quite a healthy oil. Um mm. and um you know the reason why part one of the reasons why it's so popular is just because it, like you said, it's the highest yielding. So in fact, it's one of the least wasteful types of oil. It requires the least amount of space um, to grow in order to get, you know, a gallon of oil. Yeah. Um, but the challenge is that, it, you know, it grows in 
very tropical places and you know other things grow in tropical places like forests so right. the only way to actually scale um, or to get enough oil at the scale that the world is currently looking for um, it requires basically just removing all the forests yeah, um, absolutely and that's a really big issue and that's why it's so exciting i think that you're able to uh you know remove a lot of the kind of logistical challenges associated with palm oil for the companies that need it because then there's this relatively strong incentive i would imagine a financial incentive is i think one of the best incentives for companies um to make a change and and to look into new alternatives and and find other ways i'm i'm curious to know i mean you you mentioned you know speaking of yield uh how close, if if you can say, how close is your yield um, to palm oil? I mean, you know, do you require tons of co- used coffee grounds to get a small amount of oil, or are you actually able to produce it at a at a at a rate that's scalable and makes sense? I mean, so in terms of the amount of oil held within coffee grounds, it actually is at a pretty similar rate to palm it's round about so so i think palm is round about 20 percent maybe 22 percent um oh wow we are sitting maybe between 18 and 20 wow um so it is a high it's a high percentage that's not to say necessarily that we will get that yield from our technology so so that's how much is there in total what we are trying to do at the moment is maximize the amount that we can actually extract using this technology because we we know that getting getting 50% of that will be easy but then getting 75% of that will be 10 100 times more harder getting 90% of that will be a thousand times more hard yeah. so you know get actually getting closer and closer to that level will be basically there, there will come a point where it just will not be financially sort of sustainable uh, mm. to be trying to extract these um coffees to to, to this uh, the oils at this yield um we are hopeful of getting round about you know between somewhere between 15 and 20 um and we feel like from the the, the lab tests that we've been doing that that is doable and you know as as you said that the kind of there is tons of coffee out there so in terms of scale, even if it was half the amount of oil as palm, there is enough coffee grounds out there for us to still create a massive amount of, of these oils. But yeah, as I said, it's trying to maximize this technology to make sure that we're getting the very most um, out of them. Mm. Yeah, I think it's also really interesting. I mean, you, you mentioned that you're not using any kind of nasty chemicals or anything. It's just heat and water. So even even that part of it is um is is also great because you're 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 not relying on on anything that can be really harmful to the environment further downstream or the, the pollution side of it is significantly negated as well. So once you're done processing the grounds for oil, uh, you're still actually left with quite a valuable product. Um, so once once the processing is done, what's the next step? Um. So yeah, we're still left with a really sort of carbon-rich residual material. To give you a bit of context, what the original idea of what we were going to be doing with, with Revive 
was collecting coffee grounds, simply drying them, and then adding a few bits and pieces to it to create a kind of natural soil conditioner or a, a natural fertilizer type product. So that was the original plan. We found that the coffee grounds, however, were, were very acidic. So they could only really be used on certain plants uh, and they could only be used at a sort of quite a low volume or else it would almost just, it would just overpower uh, the plants. So, uh, you know, I guess as a lucky break, that, that put us back to the drawing board to look at other ways to create value from it. And that's what led to the, to the oils and everything. And the rest is history. But um, luckily for us, when we extract all these these oils from the coffee grounds, a lot of them, as I said, are fatty acids. So they reduce the acidity of the coffee grounds right down. So they actually make them a far better soil conditioner or fertilizer product. Um, they have far wider uses on, on different plants and they're still very carbon rich. So the, the kind of two main outlets that, that, that we're going to be looking at um, the first one, as I said, is this biofertilizer product. In the future, we're, we're also hoping to then pelletize the the, cough, the residual material uh, to create a kind of biomass pellet product. The plan for this is basically to then actually burn those to power the process itself, which would mean that it was basically self, self-sufficient. self We would be completely off the grid cool. um, and it would run from its own its own waste stream uh that's something that's still we're still very early stage with that we're still kind of trying to develop that with our research partners um but that's you know that's a a real kind of exciting prospect for us to be able to to have a, a completely closed loop system where literally every last ounce of 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 this this material is is getting used to to create the maximum amount of value Super cool. I mean, that ties back in exactly with where you started about, you know, sustainability makes common sense. And in the natural world, there is no waste. It's so cool to see that you're actually working towards having a business that runs that way. Very cool. Yeah, I think for us, it's quite it's quite an interesting place for us to be in now that we're kind of looking at the circular economy and, and sustainable business that when we've been developing the business model, if we come to a point that it is right, so the coffee grounds come into the factory, they come in in plastic bags, the coffee grounds go into the machine. Right now we've got a load of plastic bags. What What is there that we can do with that? I think that most companies would go, okay, the plastic bags, well, they'll go in plastic recycling, they'll get sent away. Again, don't know what it, what it would be, but there is potentially a way that we could make value from those plastic bags. There, There is value there. Could they, you know, we could break them down and use them and something that we've not even thought of yet. I think that that allows us to just continuously innovate rather than looking at it as like, okay, well, there's a waste stream from here, so we better call a waste management company. It's, okay, we've got a waste stream. That's either going to be a cost to us or it's a potential revenue stream for us. And the fact that companies over the past 50 years have looked because it is it is only over the past 50 years before that companies would not look at they would be looking at right we we don't want to chuck that out how can we do something with it over the past 50 years with this new kind of take make dispose model that we're living in they just look at it and go oh somebody will take it away for us who cares, how much is it uh, who cares we'll pay for it common sense dictates that you're losing money like yeah. it just blows my mind even if we could get rid of it at cost and like create something that allows us to get rid of it at completely cost neutral. We're still making a saving on a potential 
cost. It's it's mind blowing mm-hmm. to us, um, and people to look at us as if we're kind of like, oh, they, these guys are, you know, really, you know, reinventing the wheel here. When oh, not to pat myself on the back too much, but but um, but to us, it just why would we ever not take advantage of a potential revenue stream? I I, I just I just can't get my head around it. And then I don't think I ever will. Yeah, it's really interesting. What you're saying uh, is identical to, um, in a previous episode, I interviewed a regenerative farmer whose name is Gabe Brown. He's based uh, in North Dakota. And one of Gabe Brown's biggest things, he's a very profitable farmer, which is very unique, especially in the U.S., he always says a big part of profitability as a farmer is to use the waste from one enterprise to fuel the profit of another. That's exactly what you're saying. I mean, if if coffee grounds come in in plastic bags, how can you take that plastic bag waste and turn it into, I mean, best case scenario, you can turn it into the profit, profitability for another enterprise. Just like, and you're doing it as well with, um, you know, with your idea for the biomass pellets that you're going to burn to fuel the uh, the machine that makes more oil. Uh, and so it's just this perfectly kind of circular economy, I guess, uh, is the best way to call it. And so speaking of which, you, you wrote a LinkedIn post about the circular economy because, I mean, as you're, as you're saying it, Revive Eco is really becoming a part of it and, and embracing it. I guess just for context, and we've kind of been talking about it, you know, is there sort of a clean, easy definition for people who may not be familiar with the term circular economy? What is it exactly? Uh, I think that, that's a very good question. I think it's it's something that the circular economy as a whole needs to work on um, as, as a clean definition. For context, the, the kind of the typical mod- model that our economy now sits in is a kind of take, make, dispose model. So, you know, a company chops down trees, creates a product from wood, sells it, somebody uses it for a wee bit, then chucks it and it goes to landfill. That's the kind of, I guess, the the, the baseline economic model that we've been working on, uh, working with for the last, uh, last while. And clearly um, that is not sustainable. There are a finite amount of resources, uh, natural resources out there, and we're doing our very best to work through every last ounce of them. So it's t- we need to slow down. We need to start looking at ways of reusing, sort of regenerating um, these these natural uh, raw materials. So the circular economy sort of looks at it from a completely different point of view of understanding that raw materials will probably be necessary in certain industries and in certain places but it's looking at trying to keep that to the bare, bare minimum. If there is a way to create those products using recycled uh, materials, is there a way to prolong the life of that product so that it's not just so you know used for six months and then chucked out? So there's six kind of key things that, that, that they look at. So it's looking at shifting towards renewable energy and materials. So from a design point of view, looking at ways that we can design out waste there's looking at so it's called loop so which is keeping components in a kind of closed loop so so that that would be kind of where we would fall in uh we kind of look at ourselves as closing the loop on coffee shop waste so you know the coffee waste is created and rather than us just 
taking it to landfill, we kind of allow it to continue around and create products that maybe go back into the food and drinks industry. So kind of prolonging that life. There's kind of, you know, different business models like leasing and sort of exchanging. So, ra- so rather than just getting rid of something, is, is that could somebody else still garner value from it? Uh, so, uh, you know, once you've used your clothes for a certain amount of time, they're, you might not think they're nice or cool yeah. <laughs> anymore, uh, but somebody else might. So it's all these sort of things. It's, it's just it's prolonging the life of products and minimizing the amount of raw materials uh, that, need, that need to be used in the economy as a whole, which I, I've basically just proven that, that there is no kind of easy <laughs> way to describe um, what the circular economy is. I'm sure, I'm sure there's smarter people out there that are trying to work on one, but uh, it's, it's a, a bit conceptual, I'd say, yeah. still at the moment, uh, which I think is, is an issue uh, because it, 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 needs a, it needs a tagline. It needs a, it needs a sort of somebody needs, from a branding perspective, needs to look at it and, and give it a snappy line uh, because there's still an educational piece that's uh, required there. I think that because people don't quite understand it, they, they're looking at it as just a new buzzword for uh, you know hippie tree huggery type folks, um, which is in, a, in no way what it is. It, it, it is a completely new way of looking at the economy rather than just you know a CSR push, which I think maybe the public right through to sort of investment and and policymakers maybe don't quite fully understand yet. Yeah, a lot of these things, especially in their kind of infancy, I think people quickly assign them to the tree huggers and the and the hippies. But as you're demonstrating, you know, there's a lot of financial sense behind it. Exactly. Yeah. It makes much more business sense for you to just use your finished coffee grounds uh, and create electricity from that than it is to buy electricity from the grid or you know from a provider. It's just common financial logical sense totally and uh i think you're right you know once once you're able once we're able to find some sort of snappy title to it it hopefully should um kind of take off a bit more so just to kind of add to that um we find it really interesting that the circular economy is starting to you know to become more part of of every day of the economy or, or people are talking about it more uh, and people are talking about it as this, this. Uh, I mean, as I just did, talking about it as this new concept, this new way of looking at doing business. When realistically, if, if we look at our grandparents or our grandparents' grandparents, the idea of wearing a shirt for six months and then the new summer collection comes out, so you chuck that shirt away, just didn't even exist. Yeah. Um, that I mean, fashion is, is, a, is a real culprit for it. But, you know, with everything, having a mobile phone for for a year and then chucking it out to buy the exact same mobile phone, but it's now got, you know, a, a, a new camera on it, it, it just would not have happened 50, 60, 70, 100 years ago. People recycled, people didn't look at it as recycling. They looked at it as just, well, there's a hole in my shirt, so I need a shirt, so I'll sew it up. It's It's kind of, it's just interesting how, how we shifted so far away from that kind of like, oh, we can just chuck out anything. We've got so much. We have so many new products. We've got so many things to to choose from. And now we're kind of coming back full circle, ironically, to 
the point that we're we're kind of looking at it as like, oh no, it actually it does make much more sense for us to not just chuck out something out straight away. If if you're wanting to chuck out a phone after a year, well, there's places that you can take it so that it could, someone else that can't afford the brand new phone can have it, or that the pieces of gold and iron and everything that's held within it can be taken out and used for other products. Which I just find it kind of ironic that it is looked at as a new concept when it's just it was the common sense of 50 60 years ago yeah it's very true i mean these kind of older logical concepts are coming back uh as though they're the the newest hot thing and there's like probably business blog posts talking about innovative new ways that you can reuse old things whereas like you said 50 years ago that was probably just you know everyone did it and if you didn't do it then you're just that's not very logical view and why would you absolutely like my granddad um worked in a a shirt factory in ireland um making shirts for marks and spencers and i i honestly i I think he would he would be laughing his head off at me talking about you know this new this newfangled way of doing business because i cannot imagine that that factory had an ounce of or an ounce of waste that wasn't absolutely necessary yeah, so it's just funny how how quickly we shifted away from it, and how quickly we're now shifting back to it because people just seem to be to be really switching on to it thanks to things like you know the David Attenborough effect and and things like this. You know, it's amazing how much impact the visual element of it can be. Just seeing actually for themselves, it's not just scientists saying, "Oh, we need to start recycling plastic." It is actually having a tangible effect. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Shifting gears back to, to the coffee grounds. Um, what was really interesting about revive ecos, it's kind of a dual marketplace in the sense that you know, you're creating a product and, and then selling that from the used coffee grounds, but your business relies on other companies providing you with their used coffee grounds. And, and that's what you're using to create your products. Can you tell, tell me a bit about the collection process and, and how that whole process works? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the way the way that the process itself works is we work with a resource management company here in Glasgow. They do the coffee grounds collections on our behalf. So up until now, we've actually been quite lucky in that we've not done any outbound marketing to get any sort of cafes or restaurants on board to, to provide us with our coffee grounds. It's all been people, I guess, hearing about us and then getting in touch with us. But the basic the, the basic way that it has worked up until now is cafe gets in touch with us we sign them up to they basically send them out a, a quick kind of form just to get some details and, and, and sort of a general idea of how much coffee waste to go through in a in a weekly basis. We then work out a collection system. So up until now, it has been pretty dis- bespoke uh, for each individual client. Uh, we're hoping to get that more automated moving forward, but uh, that's that's for a, a future conversation. All right, but um, depending on how much coffee grounds they go through in a week we'll then decide on how many bins they we'll send out to them how many collections per week uh they'll do or we'll do uh, most of them it is just one bin one collection a week but then so so with some of the bigger clients for example like the scottish events campus here in glasgow which is a big kind of event yeah. venue they have far more regular pickups because they have thousands of people coming through their venue every single day so they produce a whole, a whole lot more coffee grounds uh, we provide them with the bins free of charge. Uh, there is a charge for collections, 
for the collections, um, which the vast majority uh, of people that get in touch with us are are happy to pay. Uh, some of them, I think, are looking for something for for free. But um, unfortunately, just with working with a resource management company, it's not something that we could provide for free. They have costs that we need to cover. Right. The reason most of them are, are happy to pay it is um, we are removing waste from one of their bins. So the vast majority of them see a reduction in their waste costs in general. So when we charge uh, for our collections, they actually still end up making a saving. Um, that's certainly the case for the bit for the bigger places, uh, the, the smaller places. It's it's more they, they they're kind of breaking even, but they get to, to sort of brag about the fact that they're they're being more sustainable and kind of get those green credentials. Um, we then provide each of our clients with monthly impact reports, uh, which they which they all really find useful. It allows them to to shout about what they're doing. It allows to tell their allows them to tell their customers how much waste they're diverting from landfill, the kind of carbon emission impact of that, mm. which, as I said, for the smaller places, that's just nice for them as a wee bit of, you know, maybe a post on their, their social media. Right. But for the bigger places like Scotch Events Campus, the University of Edinburgh, that's a real, that these impact reports can have a real sort of tangible effect on their annual reports, the, the, you know, the, the, their sustainability policies and, and things like this so you know they, they've they've really uh taken taken to those impact reports um and are sort of i guess just just love the fact that, that we're offering that to them so i guess each client has their own kind of drive behind why they, they would work with us yeah i mean it's cool that's um that's a d- double win at least for the bigger ones they get uh cost reduction for waste removal and they also get the the win for uh, the sustainability part, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, that's cool. So, I mean, isn't it more work for them or for the people working there to, to sort out the used coffee waste from everything else and being mindful of that? Yeah, that's, that's something actually we've, um, it's a question we've been asked a lot, um, but it's never been an issue uh, in terms of with it, with the customers we work with, that's never been an issue. Um, the reason Scott and I, never we never thought we didn't think it was going to be an issue even when people were bringing it up we worked in cafes you know we knew we worked on the 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 shop floor you know we knew how it works out there in the front uh, and see it as long as there is a bin close by you you're told this is where plastic goes this is where this goes and you know that it's the rules (laughs) um yeah so we we weren't really that worried about that there's also the fact that the vast majority of cafes already segregate their coffee grounds at source most places will have a kind of knockout drawer or a knockout bin or something that after they make a coffee they basically just take the coffee puck and knock it out into so they're already being separated um all we're asking is that rather than then pouring that drawer into your food waste bin you pour it into a coffee waste bin it's Mm. And and we've we've had no issues with that at all. We've had a, a tiny amount of uh, contamination in in the bins over the past sort of year, eighteen months. But I mean, it's been, you know, it's never it's, it's never been anything more than maybe like a a, a tissue or like a, a filter paper from a from a like filter coffee, um, right? Tea bags, like it's, it's, 
tiny wee bits and pieces like that, but that's their their once in a in a blue moon. So we've been quite lucky with that. Yeah, for for people who aren't familiar with the coffee industry or you know exactly what the day to day is like, it sounds like a lot more work. But the way you described it, it's doesn't seem like there's really any behavior changes at all. No, uh, it's just you're you're dumping out all of the coffee grounds, which are already segregated. Sounds like most of the time into the bin next to the one you normally dump stuff into. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. That I mean that that's good. The the easier it is than the less first of all the less mistakes there are but then the more motivated companies will be to to take it on totally and and that's something we wanted to work on uh, was to make sure that there was that kind of ease of of shift between you know what they were previously doing to, to this even even though as you said it is a relatively easy shift but you know when you're working with um people that are maybe only working part-time or that you know that are just there to earn a bit of, of beer money they're yeah. not really going to care um, or not maybe not going to listen as much as they, they should. Mm-hmm. So we work quite hard to kind of make up a wee, um, just a one-page outline sort of explaining why it is that um, separating the coffee grounds actually does, you know, it's more than just simply this is the new regulations around where things go into different bins. It is by doing this, you are creating, you know, value you're creating you're reducing carbon emissions you're helping reduce the amount of palm oil yeah. you're helping this that and the next thing so i think it brings it home as more of a almost a it's maybe getting a bit too big for ourselves but almost a duty um rather than just simply of oh, that, that's the rules you're, you're getting buy-in from everyone not just the top people but also everyone feels like they're they're helping out and contributing i'd love to know what does the ultimate dream for Revive Eco look like? I mean, so, you know, put another way, what does a perfectly quote unquote sustainable world look like to you? Oh, that's a, a big question. Um, to, to go back to the circular economy, yeah, that to me is the only way that the economy moving or a society moving forward can be sustainable and it needs to be taken in to everything it can't just be you know businesses trying to do a bit of a corporate social responsibility move whilst you know behind the scenes they're still you know desecrating forests or rainforests in other parts of the country you know it has to be across the board it has to be every business it has to be every society um it has to be every home as well i, th- I think that uh, society is certainly the in western um society we we have that it's it's the public themselves as much as it is business that is um not i guess uh doing ourselves many favors in the way that we sort of are are so quick to dispose of of things and there's so many things that that can be done to to make a home more sustainable uh, and i think it has to just be across the board and then the the, the final piece of that has has to be policy makers as well has to be government um i think all three working together business put the public as a you know as at large and the government all need to kind of work together um and it's not just focusing on it's not the government do, having sustainable goals because we think it's what the the public want and it's not the public of oh, okay i'll fine I'll, I'll chuck this in the in the recycling because i guess that's what you have to do it's an it, it's an understanding 
across the board that if we don't do these things, there isn't going to be a society, there isn't going to be an economy, there isn't going to be a government, there isn't going to be anything in the you know in the future. It pains me that people still don't seem to understand just how close to not to, not to sound too kind of um, over the top, but just how close we are to a cataclysmic uh, disaster in terms of uh, our current climate and, and climate in terms of you know actual the world climate, but also sort of I guess political and societal climate as well. Yeah, it terrifies me that that people are still cynical of whether there is climate change let alone the people that know that understand and know that there is climate change and yet still do nothing about it. Mm. Not everybody has to go out and start a company looking at creating a more sustainable way of living or a new sustainable uh, you know circular economy business model or whatever. But you know just take a take a, a minute and look at your own home, take a look a minute and look at your own sort of life and see if there's parts that you could be more sustainable because they're 100% will be and that's kind of I I know for a fact that there's huge elements of my life that aren't sustainable that I need to work on and unfortunately that is the case across the board and it's just something that needs to happen it's not a kind of uh, you, you, you said it was a kind of a dream I guess unfortunately it, it can't be a dream anymore it has to be a it's it's a necessity that we need to start looking at these things i i think it's very true there's yeah you're absolutely right i mean it's 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 urgent and we need to do it right now um and it is it's pretty i find it also pretty shocking and surprising that people that we're still having the conversation of whether or not it's something that we even need to worry about if it's even valid these concerns as there's a lot of internet memes going around about this stuff uh, that I see, it's you know not one person doing a million things perfectly. Um, it's a million people doing a couple of things imperfectly. That helps a lot. As we start to wrap up here in the last minute or so, do you have any books or resources you can recommend for people who are interested in the type of work you're doing or in a circular econ- economy? Yeah, a couple of things in terms of the circular economy. Um, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation online, just their website is absolutely fantastic. It has a huge amount of resources mm. in terms of the circular economy, both in terms of what it is. They they probably have a pretty good um, definition <laughs> there. Yeah. Um, the news within the circular economy, what's going on within it. Uh, so that's a that's a fantastic resource. Probably my fa- my favorite book in terms of business and sustainability would probably. Be a book by Yvonne Chouinard, the 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 founder of Patagonia. It's called Let My People Go Surfing. Ah, cool. Um, it's an absolutely fantastic read in terms of both in terms of the history of Patagonia and and its founder Yvonne, but also looking at how he built a company culture with with values and kind of a real drive for environmental uh, sustainability at its very core. Uh, so it's it's a really interesting book patagonia are a really interesting company as well in terms of the work they do they they give one percent of all their it's actually of their turnover uh or their revenue every year to uh environmental causes i think it's now over they've given over a hundred million I, I i may be maybe making that up and a book the last book 
I'm actually reading at the moment, which is quite in it's interesting. It's, it's called Doing the Right Thing, a Value-Based Economy. It's by a guy, Arjo, I think it's Arjo Clammer, um, his name is. And that's, again, a really interesting, really interesting read. I'm only maybe about halfway through it, but it's, yeah, it's really interesting. It, it kind of looks at, you know, at the difference between looking at a business as a, just as an entity and as something that has values. It kind of, it kind of compares it to a house in comparison to a home. You know, a house is a business. It just is a thing that, that provides walls and a roof or whatever. But a home is something that has, you know, a history, it has uh, stories, it has different, all, all the elements that, that make a house a home is something that you need to, to, to maybe look at uh, within your business as well and within the economy. Yeah, cool. Thanks for both of, the, for both of those. And the Ellen MacArthur Foundation is, is a good one. Absolutely. Um, thanks for that. And uh, where, where can people find, find you and learn more about what you're doing and Revive Eco and, and so on? So uh, we have a, a website, which is revive-eco.com. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, Twitter and Instagram, it's, it's revive underscore eco. So uh, yeah, we're, we're posting stuff uh, sort of there as frequently as, as we can. Uh, we, we have a mailing list on our, on our website as well. If you want to mm -hmm. sign up, you'll get sort of as frequent newsletters as we can at the moment. We're pretty... We're pretty sort of <laughs> snowed under with with work at the moment, but we're we're trying to keep people in the loop. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's that's the kind of the probably the the best places to to stay tuned to what we're up to. Great. And is it possible to buy any products already with uh, that are that have the Revive Eco um, products in them, or you're not quite there yet? We're not quite there yet. Um, we're working with a couple of different potential customers and there's there's kind of lots in the pipeline uh, lots of kind of exciting potential collaborations there but there's nothing actually available for sale quite yet well for anyone who signs up for your mailing list or follows you on social media i'm sure you'll let us know as soon as it's available yeah well fergus thank you so much for for your time it's been really interesting to to hear your your thoughts and ideas and um really looking forward to to trying some of the new <laughs> the, the products that end up um, that you end up making with uh, with your oils, and um, maybe I'll I'll fertilize my tomatoes with some <laughs> coffee grounds. Absolutely, yeah. That, that's actually one of the the products it's it's best for tomatoes and roses. So okay, because it's they're the kind of the key ones. Yeah, makes sense. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks so much, Fergus. Really appreciate your time. No bother. Thanks. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Sustainability Matters today. If you'd like to learn more about Fergus and Revive Eco please visit their website at revive-eco.com or like their Facebook page at Revive Eco. You can also follow them on Twitter at Revive underscore Eco. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know about new episodes. We're on Spotify, the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, and really anywhere else where you can listen to podcasts. And let us know you listen to this episode on Instagram. Tag us at revive underscore eco and at sustainability matters today. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks and talk to you soon.